Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the podcast from Dream Kids Medical Centre Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing the child with a fever. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. Any and all guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospitals, NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Hello, welcome back to Take Orally. And in this episode, we're discussing uh, the child with a fever. I'm delighted that Dr. Rachel Trix is once again joining me. Hello again, Rachel. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. Marvellous. Um, so this episode is going to overlap quite a bit with some other podcasts we've done. We've already, you and I have already gone through paediatric sepsis and myself and Colin also went through uh, the collapsed neonate. So we're kind of bringing some of those things together as well within this episode, yep. we're going to be having a look at the initial assessment of a, of a child coming in with a fever and the traffic light system that we use. Yes. Right? Cool. Um, so, child comes in with a fever, has felt hot at, at home, mum and dad may have a thermometer themselves or has been identified as having a fever in A&E. Uh, what's our initial assessment going to be there? Um, well, like, like any um, unwell child, um Initial assessment, you should take a nice ABCD approach um, and making sure you've got some observations. Um, so, standard observations heart rate, temperature, respiratory rate, SATs, uh, capillary refill time. So, nothing, nothing unusual. Sure, cool. Um, and in terms of uh, their heart rate as well, we're looking for tachycardia, obviously, uh, which is, depends on their age, yes. which I think is the thing about paediatrics to get your head around and remember that. Yes, um, so. Um, they, any any child who has a significant tachycardia is at least sort of in a significant intermediate risk group. Um, so we define that as sort of under one, a heart rate of over 160, uh, 12 to 24 months, um, 150 and over 24 months, 140. But even as you start to get into your older yeah. children and adolescents, that's still quite high. So, um, <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, it, it changes. Um, and if you've got any concerns, look it up on the guidelines. They're all on pews and charts. So yeah, assess it with that. Um, so in front of us, we've got our our own QMC Nottingham Children's Hospital guidelines. These are very much based on NICE guidelines as yeah. well. Um, so this point do you want to talk about the the traffic light system yes. used in, in the uh, assessment of a of a child so fever when nice first wrote their uh february child under fever in the under fives guideline um they came up with a really nice traffic light system um, which has green amber and red f uh, features in it to assess um how sick your child is um often it's quite difficult with a child who's hot because not only do, are they hot, but then they also have a tachycardia associated with that. Uh, their respiratory rate's often quite high with that. Um, and trying to differentiate between the child who's hot and miserable because they're hot mm. or the child who's hot and unwell yeah. can sometimes be quite difficult. Um, so NICE have tried to help us with their traffic light system. Um, green obviously being low risk. So um, their main green fac factors are things like uh, children with normal colour, mm -hmm. um, they're responding normally, they're happy, they're playing, smiling. Um, if they're asleep, then they'll wake up nice and quickly or they're generally awake anyway. They've got a normal cry or they're not crying um, as better. opposed to <laughs> um, an abnormal cry. Mm -hmm. um, they 
have nice moist mucous membranes, they've got normal skin, um, and it helpfully puts the, the final green factor is that they've got none of the amber or red symptoms or signs. As a, nice, a nice get out clause. Nice to clarify that. <laughs> yeah. I think it goes quite well with that Delphi study you mentioned in yes. the last podcast as well about how reassuring the, the, the happy playing, playing happy child, child is, is who yes. may, may have you know, temperature but is happily building Lego and yeah. just cares about that. You know. Quite happily sat there playing on their <laughs> iPads um, however they want to, whatever they want to do, but generally good. <laughs> good, good, good. Okay, so then uh, what about our amber? What about our, our intermediate risk, fact, um, um, risk factors? So our... Uh, Amber intermediate risk factors are those that sort of put us somewhere between the well child and the child that we're worried about sepsis, so the ones that we previously talked about with the red flags. So they might be a little bit pale, um, they might not be responding quite as normally, they might not be as happy and as smiley, they might be a little bit miserable, crying, um, not smiling, might need a bit more waking up, mm. want to sleep a bit more than normal. Um, in terms of assessing their respiratory and cardiovascular signs, um, they may have a slightly raised respiratory rate, um, and that would depend on their age, um, which again you can find on a puce chart age dependent. And they might have slightly lower saturation, so they use the cutoff here as less than or equal to 95%. Mm. Um, they might have crackles in their chest, so all things which are pointing to possible respiratory infection. Yeah. Um, again, they will possibly have a tachycardia, um, a possible prolonged capillary refill time, dry mucous membrane signs that maybe they're not eating or drinking as well as they should be, um, and reduced urine output and poor feeding in infants is included in this as well. Cool. So an absence of wet nappies, yeah. those sorts of things, yeah. Yeah, so we generally say at least so one wet nappy every 10 hours is a bare minimum, but ideally more than that. Sure. Um, they also put in this category um, some certain features around the temperature. So if they've been having temperature for more than five days, then there might be something else underlying um, this. Um, if we've got rigors, um, any signs of any localised infections. So um, always remember to look for swellings of limbs and joints in mm. children um, or they're not if they're not weight bearing. Mm. So just because they don't have an ear, nose and throat or chest infection doesn't mean there's an infection going on somewhere. So always sure. make sure you're looking out for other places. Um, and also into this category falls um, our three to six month olds who have a temperature of over 39. And we almost treat those like our under threes who have a temperature of over 38. So they kind okay. of fall in the same category. Okay. Uh, and so then we're into our red area. So this is really going back over sort of the signs that we talked yeah. about previously with sepsis. So your pale, mottled child, mm. they're not responding to you, they're not waking normally, um, they've uh, got a very high respiratory rate, they're grunting, uh, they're working hard with their breathing, um, they're looking dehydrated, prolonged capillary refill time. Um, and these ones are, this again includes our under three months with temperature of more than 38. Um, and then the specific signs again so we've talked about non-blanching rashes um, and any signs of meningitis so bulging frontanels, neck stiffness um, if they're having seizures mm. um, with a temperature then that's obviously um, a significant finding if they're in status we know that febrile seizures happen yeah. but most often that your child with a febrile seizure will be recovering by the time they come into the ED um, a child who's got a significant um, infection related to uh, which is 
causing their seizures and um, their high temperature generally will still look very sick when they go arrive in yeah. ED. So a, a febrile convulsion still included as a, as a red feature. If you think it's a Febcon, do you think that is that a red flag feature? No, so for a, a febrile convulsion where the child's returned to normal, um, that w I wouldn't consider that to be a red feature. Cool. Um, febrile convulsions are quite common in a lot of viral illnesses, as we might go on to talk about in yep. other podcasts. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and um, these children are often back to normal by the time they come to see you, or at least coming back to normal. It's those where they're really not returning to normal, they're still fitting. Or they're in status, yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay, brilliant. Um, so those are our sort of red flag, um, that's our traffic light system, which I think, you know, as, as again is um, based on our guidelines, but it can be found very much through, through the NICE guidelines as well. Um, so we, we're now going to break down our, our patient into the, the under three months and the over three month yeah. year old. Uh, now, my understanding of this is based on that in your first three months of life, you've got your maternal immunoglobulins going around, which should fight off most viral infections. and. So if a child comes in that age and they're unwell, we're more concerned it's a bacterial. Exactly. Is, is that yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So unless you've got a child um, who you can quite clearly see may um, has a obvious viral illness, uh, your bronchiolitics, um, and similar to that, then really if they've got a temperature, they should you should be starting them on antibiotics and working them up for a serious bacterial infection. Um, cool. Even with bronchiolitis, we don't expect to have more than a very low-grade fever, sort of 38.1, 38.2 as maximum. So okay. any child who's got high, or I should also add a very low temperature, yes, of course, should be yeah. considered um, as having um, a serious infection. Cool. So they need a full septic screen, including um, chest X-ray, lumbar puncture, and urine um, analysis um, at the earliest opportunity. and antibiotics ideally within the hour as um, our sepsis guidelines say. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a lot of this as we already discussed in the, yeah. in the pediatric um, sepsis podcast and, and the collapsed neonate podcast as well um, about the investigations that we need to do and um, the possibility of a, of a lumbar puncture as well. And yeah. you already talked about an early lumbar puncture, early lumbar puncture. before antibiotics ideally, if possible. Ideally, if possible, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Um, and so then, how about the, the child over three months old? What, what's, what are the differences there? So um, then um, they quite helpfully sort of break it down on how many red or amber features the child has. Um, so a child who has one or more red features, mm. um, if you can't find an appropriate source, um, and they have one or more red features, then you definitely need to be treating this as a possible sepsis sure. or where um, significant bacterial infections. So they, they all need investigations performed. So they need bloods doing with full blood count, blood culture, CRP, and the urine done at the same time. Um, depending on what else you find, so if this child has signs of meningism, then it's, um, they need a lumbar puncture, mm. um, if it's safe to do so. Um, they potentially need a chest x-ray um, and if you're worried about them then it's always worth doing electrolytes and blood gases as well because yeah. they provide a lot of information. So if you've got one or more amber features and you can't find a source then it's worth getting a senior registrar to have a look so at the child. So that's ST4 and above. So ST4 and above. Um, to have a look at the child um, and they may be able to guide you but it, um, generally we need to consider things like urine and blood tests. Um, potentially chest x-rays and LPs as well, depending on what their findings sure. are. Okay. Sure. And if they only have green features? And if they only have green features, then um, 
unless you can find a source of fever, it's worth always checking um, for a uh, urine uh, sample um, and making sure there's no signs of a UTI there. Um, but um, chest X-rays are generally not performed, um, and we shouldn't be doing blood tests either. So hopefully, <laughs> as long as they're all in the green, they should be able to go home. Cool. And then you, we've mentioned a little bit about finding a source. Um, so I suppose, I mean, like the chest source, you kind of, you know, it's yes. kind of self-explanatory, really. Should you just touch a little bit on about what makes us think about a particular source in these patients? Yeah, so um, the important thing to do, I think, in all children who present with a fever is a proper ENT examination. Okay. Um, Upper respiratory tract infections are still one of our most common and probably increasingly so attendances um, at the A&E and it, a good ENT exam is hard to do. Um, it needs cooperation from a child and the parent um, and if you're not happy with how this is done it's sometimes worth letting the child settle down, coming back a little bit later um, but making sure you've done that before you discharge from anywhere. Um, if your ENT examination is normal, <laughs> um, then other places to start thinking. So um, obviously our most worrying things are meningococcal sepsis and meningitis. So yeah. for your meningococcal disease, you're looking for your non-blanching rash, your ill-looking child, um, and other signs of sepsis and shock. And meningitis specifically for the meningeal irritation, so neck stiffness, um, reduced level of consciousness, possibly convulsive status. Yeah. Um, and in the little ones, a bulging fontanelle, you can often find. Um, herpes simplex encephalitis is also something to consider, particularly in your young ones again. Um, they often are more likely to present with focal neurological signs, okay. um, focal seizures. Um, often quite drowsy or with reduced level of consciousness and um, it's always worth asking family members is there any history of cold sores um, and contacts because that's oh, often yes. the way um, mm. particularly in newborn babies um, you'll find someone will have inadvertently kissed the newborn baby but had a cold sore um, which is not a good idea don't recommend it <laughs> bear that in mind a bit of advice <laughs> yeah. there <laughs> um, and then um, sort of away from that, um, we've got our sort of pneumonia, urinary tract infections. They'll have possibly have specific signs. So your pneumonia, you'll have um, signs of increased work of breathing, yeah. crackles, uh, reduced saturations. Urinary tract infections can be quite hard to diagnose, um, particularly in the little ones, because they don't have the obvious signs of cystitis. Yeah. Um, but any child who's vomiting, poor feeding, um, should have a urine done and a UTI should certainly be considered. Sure. Um, and the other thing I mentioned earlier um, is don't forget joints, yeah. uh, joints and limbs. Um, so a child who's not weight bearing properly um, mm. or might have pain on moving a limb if they're little and then uh, non-weight bearing anyway, um, then it's always worth having a look for septic joints as well. And there is a podcast on the child with a limp as well. There you are. <laughs> Sufi or not Sufi, that is the question. Uh, well, yeah. Um, I hope there's no Sufis in the under fives. <laughs> well, no, that's good. Yeah, yes, very good point. <laughs> and uh, also down there is Kawasaki disease. So down there at the bottom is Kawasaki disease, and this is something that potentially we're going to talk about in a future podcast a bit more detail. Yes. Um, but it's certainly something to be aware of in um, children who've had fever for more than five days, and that's why this is one of our um, amber features. Yeah. Um, so um, it's a immune vasculitis and um, 
they often present not only with fever, um, but they also have to have four of the following. So they either bilateral conjunctival injection, changes in their mucous membranes, um, a polymorphous rash, um, possible desquamation of the hands and feet, um, and they also have cervical lymphadenopathy. So it's something always to be aware of when you're looking at a child with fever and cool. when mum comes in and says they've been unwell for days, so don't forget it. <laughs> cool. Uh, and then so shall we now talk a bit about the management um, of, of our child with a, with a fever? Um, so obviously you've got to decide is uh, does the child need antibiotics depending yeah. on what you're diagnosing them with um, and there's um, antibiotic guidelines out yeah, there we're depending not going to go through that so but yeah follow your follow your, follow trust your guidelines. local policy yeah. um, so in terms of sort of managing the fever um, it's actually advised that we're not tepid sponging them and we're not undressing um, completely children so um, take them down to a normal level of clothing um, and uh, let them sort of relax. Um, we don't have to mop their brow. We like don't have the to mop their brow. <laughs> um, I, I'm just thinking, so the, ne the next line actually, if you look at our guidelines, says antipyretic uh, agents do not prevent febrile convulsions and should not be used specifically for this purpose. Okay. And, which is true. And I think there's lots of anxiety out there about giving paracetamol to keep child children's fevers down so they don't have a convulsion. Um, and I think there's probably a whole other podcast for you out there in the February season. There <laughs> to is. Be done I think you're talking yourself into more podcasts yeah, here, Rachel. Exactly. But, I mean, but that's a whole debate anyway yeah. in itself about the fever is your natural body's response, response and exactly. should you actually be yeah. suppressing it. Exactly. Um, and that, th there is a difficulty. I think um, the general consensus, um, there's been quite a lot of Twitter debates about this in recent months, um, mm. so you can look it out and look out Absolutely, there for it. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a difference. Giving paracetamol and ibuprofen to treat a fever alone isn't the way that we should be going forward. However, um, giving paracetamol and ibuprofen to treat an unsettled, agitated child who isn't comfortable yeah. um, is a different matter because um, yeah. when, when we're ill with colds and flus, we all head straight for the paracetamol and brufin, so Lemsip all the way. Exactly, so we yeah. should be certainly considering it from that point of view. Yeah. Um, and one of the other things is that um, often advise parents not to use them simultaneously um, sure. because they can have four doses of paracetamol a day, three doses of ibuprofen and actually by giving it sort of spacing it out every couple of hours you get far better cover okay. the day. Yeah rather than taking it in. Yeah, take, yeah. Cool. Uh, and there doesn't have to be a time limit between the paracetamol and ibuprofen just between <laughs> the same drug that's one of the other questions that I often get asked <laughs> when parents come in so cool. make that nice and clear. Um, anything else about the management you'd like to talk about? Um, not in particular, but then obviously we've got to decide why this child is Absolutely. coming in or yeah. going home. Um, so um, if we're going to um, admit this child, then they need to be admitted and observed. Mm -hmm. um, and generally children, certainly with amber and red features, even if we're not um, treating them um, initially because we've decided for whatever reason we don't think they have bacterial infection um, they often need to be observed at least for a couple of hours in the apartment and see how they go. Sure. Children are very good at sort of declaring themselves either to be better or worse um, in most cases, not every case, but um, I think we often 
talk about the four hour wait in A&E and actually four hours is a really good time to observe a child and we don't have to make snap decisions on these children whether they need to come in unless we're concerned um, and actually if you can get a child comfortable settled making sure they're drinking making sure they're passing urine watch their observations see how they play um, then you can be encouraged that these children might be able to go home mm. um, if you're happy with them um, certainly the children with green features can generally go home um, it's important that we're providing parents with written and verbal advice on when to come back um, and where they should come back to sure um, and um, other advice, so we just talked about how parents can manage fever, um, making sure they're encouraging drinking um, and eating. I generally say it's the time where to allow them to eat anything. I don't often say that, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, that that is the time. Um, and just to keep a closer eye on them than they would normally do. Yeah. Um, and avoid play school or um, school until they're feeling better. Cool. That's the bit you like as a kid. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or at least I did. Anyway, cool. Um, and again, as you said, the, the advice, written advice as well. Most places you'll have a leaflet. Yeah. If not, Google, you know, NHS will give you a, there's a guideline for something. There's always, always print off something. To we, already talk, we talked about that in the last podcast yeah. about OSCE advice. There's always a leaflet. There's always a leaflet. <laughs> Brilliant. And if in any doubt, speak to a senior. Yes, and I would say I would reiterate that um, there should always be someone around and if you've got concerns, then don't hesitate to ask. Marvellous. Thank you so much, Rachel. That's right. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was the Take Orally uh, Fever and Children podcast. You can find the blog entry and take visually for this podcast at www.takeorally.com. Uh, remember, Take Orally can be found on both Apple, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. We're also on Instagram as well. Um, for more information about research and education opportunities with the most mentally acute medicine major trauma, you can uh, find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.